Hey, rock stars, I'm JB, expert salesperson and master presenter. I'm the doctor, psychologist, and behavioral expert. This is the Entrepreneur Mastery Lab Podcast. We're high-performance coaches that help service-based professionals and entrepreneurs take their skills to the next level. 70% of entrepreneurs fail, which is why every week we have real talk with real entrepreneurs to help ensure you are not one of them. We're also the inventors of the Be Rich Mindset. Where we rise to mastery, inspire greatness, celebrate knowledge, and help others along the way. So join us in the lab. And now, on to the show. Hey, rock stars. Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Mastery Lab. I'm JB. I'm the doctor. If this is your first time joining us, thank you so much for joining us here in the lab. This is a place where we have conversations with real professionals every single week uh, to give you the insight to become better in your lives and your business. If you haven't had a chance yet, make sure before the end of the episode, whether you're listening or viewing on YouTube, you give us a like, a subscribe, a follow, a five-star review so we can have greater impact with more people just like you. Click all those buttons. It helps us more than you know. Absolutely. And for those of you returning who have checked us out before, thank you again for continuing to watch and listen to us. We appreciate you. We're grateful for you. And you're the reason we do it. So keep it up. Yeah. Good job. That's reinforcement. Cold star. Do I get one? Sure. Oh, okay. Great. I'm happy now. That's all we need. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Doc, I get I get to pull an all nighter here. I don't I don't get to do those too often. Normally, I cringe when I think of the idea of an all nighter. This is actually with a group of people doing doing something uh, that I'm pretty passionate about. So I'm look, looking forward to it. So supposedly, knock it out like 22 miles or something over the course I was of the say, night. For the for the sake of our audience, whose minds might be going into the gutter right now, you want to be a little more specific on what your all nighter is. Yeah, I yeah, like yeah. saying our audience has gutter minds, but they probably do if they like us. Yeah, it's a, it's a chance to honor service members. This one happens to be to honor the Coast Guard because we just happen to be right around, depending on when you're listening and viewing this, uh, the birthday of the Coast Guard. So we're kind of right there. So we're going to be celebrating and honoring the Coast Guard and those who have served. And we're going to be putting on some weight and working through some team building exercises and some physical fitness over the course of the night along the beaches from Miami all the way to Fort Lauderdale, I believe. So it's going to be a pretty exciting evening. Get to meet some people that are into the same stuff I am. A little bit of the same crazy that I got should be fun. That sounds excruciating, well, but fun. That's another way to call it. Excruciating for you. Fun for me. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a far cry from like the all nighters I used to to have yeah that, that, that i can relate to better yeah yeah what about you you got anything going on buddy uh i am not going to be doing an all-nighter i am going to be tucked in my bed and hopefully snoring quite peacefully during that time but i will be thinking of you i will be there in spirit and no. in in cheering you on i don't believe that dreams. for a second i, I my don't dreams will I don't all be about second. cheering you on tonight believe that's what it. i'm gonna dream you're full of it. There's no, there's not a chance. I thought you'd jump at a chance to be in Miami in the middle of the night. That that's, that's that seems like something you'd enjoy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, we're gonna move mm. on. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have we'll have Doc plead the fifth on that one. Really excited this week to welcome the one and only 
Paula Shepard to join us. Paula is a fantastic colleague. She works in the coaching space alongside us, runs her own podcast, which I believe this will be featured on as well. So you can check that out. Paula, welcome to the lab. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm really excited that I'm here and also, and am enjoying the relationship and the banter between the two of you. Yeah, well, we thank you. Very calm that time too. Like, yeah, that was, <laughs> I, I, I know they, thank thank you, Paula. Uh, so to do us a favor for, for our guests, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, kind of fill in, fill in the, the dots and the gaps for us and, and talk a little bit about the, the courage blueprint and what you're doing with that. Hmm. Okay. That's a lot. So let me, <laughs> let's do all the things. Okay. So, um, I, as you mentioned, I'm a coach and also a consultant and I focus on conscious and courageous conversations to create more dynamic teams. So what does that mean? It means being able to feel psychologically safe in the space that you are to be authentically yourself, which creates trust in your team, trust in your leader and massive results like productivity and optimization in your team that create more profitability, right? So everything that I do starts with self, not with strategy, always. Um, and that is what the Courage Blueprint is. It really was born of a place uh, from curiosity. Every word or every letter in the word courage stands for something. The C stands for curiosity, and that's where we start. And the E is an experiment, right? And everything in between. So it's very important to me after coming out of two decades of corporate America and being in you know, a senior, senior leadership position and managing people and big programs and projects, uh, primarily technical teams where I did not have a technical degree. It's that soft skill. And I know this is where you guys focus too, is understanding how to people is the key. It's not the quarterly plan. It's not the annual planning. It's not the engagement survey. It's getting to know people first over processes and having the processes meet people where they are. So taking a more human-centric view of things. Yeah, we, we, we love that. All the work we do really is to, to help people who are ready for the development of themselves or their team, you know, just to get a little bit better, right? You know, we, don't, we don't really look at the systems in place. I, we, we like systems. We can geek out of the, over them, but that's not really where we help teams and individuals. It, it's more about recognizing, hey, there's some aspects of, of ourselves that we need to get better at, whether it is confidence, courage, uh, trust, decision-making, leadership, active listening, communication, all those things, right? There, there's always a, ch a, a place to grow and get better there. And that's what we love to help people with. We just we get a lot of joy out of doing that. It's a lot of fun. Do you find it to be stressful though? Helping people through some of this? Yeah, getting them to focus on that piece versus the strategy. Ah, well, now you know why I work with a doctor of psychology. <laughs> <laughs> good, good thing he's here. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never done that ever in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the moment the therapy part of it comes out, I'm like, you know, he can't be your therapist, but he's the better one to talk. Now, it's, a, it's not quite true, but yeah, helping people can be stressful, of course, you know, depending on what they're dealing with. Uh, it can be a real challenge and helping people overcome some of their own self-imposed obstacles is not always the easiest thing to do. What we do enjoy is most of the people that we work with want 
to work on themselves. And that makes it a lot easier. I'm not sure what your experience is with that, but, but most of our, our clients, you know, there's a, there's a certain understanding that there's a place for them to get better and and they want to, they want to be more than they are or, or grow and and expand on those skills. Hmm. Do you have primarily male clients or do you have a mix of men and women? So it's a mix. I, Doc, what do you think about that? We seem to kind of run across both. Yeah, I'd say it's a very good mix. Um, depending on the platform too, that people connect with us, there's there's a stronger mix on certain ones. But yeah, overall, I would say it's a pretty big mix. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I primarily have worked with women in my coaching and consulting in the last couple of years. But before that was primarily working with men, right? Just in the industries that I was working in. And what I have enjoyed most about working with women over these last couple of years is their desire to work on themselves, right? And uh, the understanding of and the letting go of those tangible things like money, their job and the title and the amount of income that they make is far less important than how happy they are and how present they are and the freedom that they have in their lives. And yet I believe that there are a lot of men who have those same feelings, but I don't see them as readily coming out and saying, I want to work on myself. They do under the guise of how can I make my business more profitable? And we approach that but that's not the problem. We had a very similar conversation with with a previous guest on the podcast, uh, Shane Santa Croach, uh, and and Shane's experience. I, th- I think in, in a lot of ways mirrors what you just mentioned. He yeah he he kind of took a view that you know women are much more willing and open to to learning and growing than a lot of the men he runs across today. You know the doc and I kind of had a conversation at the end of that podcast together as we were wrapping up, you know, recognizing that I think there's, there's kind of a surge of, of women taking ownership and empowerment in the workforce today that I think very much lends to that perception. But you know, our feeling without speaking for the doc is everybody is on a spectrum. So just like you have men that are very unwilling to open up and be be vulnerable and really express or, or a desire to grow, you, you also have women who are on that end of the spectrum. Uh, the people we work with generally just share that desire. Doesn't matter what their gender is. You know, doesn't doesn't matter what 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 they consider themselves. He, him, she, her, they, them, uh, really in a lot of ways irrelevant. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's definitely a lot of men who are, uh, I don't want to say, uh, I want to say unwilling to be vulnerable, but you know, it, it's definitely, it's something that we deal with culturally here where there's some machoism and masculinity, uh, cultural things that go on and doc, go ahead. Cause I know, I know you're like biting your cheek to, yeah. to speak up like, here. Ooh, tell me. I think what you're just saying is perfect, JB, and we've had that conversation previously about the idea of the spectrum. And I think people are just getting comfortable with the idea that there's they don't have to be identified a certain way anymore. Um, and even in therapy practice, I'm seeing a lot more men coming in and being emotionally available and open. And they, they'll even just say, I've always been wanting to do this. Now I just feel like I'm allowed to. Um, so I think that understanding of 
that acceptance is out there and hopefully keeps growing. I mean, there's a lot of pushback right now that I won't go into. Uh, but usually when you see that pushback is because people are scared and they don't like change and they feel like that's going to be something bad. But generally, it always turns out to be something good. So if we can, you know, as we more get accepted the idea that there is a lot more blend, that we're not as different um, across the gender, across the spectrum as we think we were, um, that there is a lot more synchronicity in that um, you're going to see more and more of that. And it's good to just like JB was saying, we are all different. We're not created equal or all unique. So there's going to be male, female, however you identify, um, a wide variety of people along that that area. We just never saw it before because women weren't allowed in the, the business sector the same way. There was a lot of ceilings placed on them and still is in a lot of ways, but we're seeing a lot of that being pushing through a little bit more. And the more that we see that being pushed through, we're going to realize that we're, there's a lot more blend across the board too. Yeah. Well, Paula, I, I want to ask you in, in regard to this, because I, I, I think I can imagine it has an, a, a role coming from a very male heavy industry myself. I, I wonder if if some of what your experience is is part of the culture of the companies you're working within, whether it's an acknowledged culture or not. You know, if it's very male heavy culture, you, you do get a lot of those masculinity traits that kind of have been, you know, underlying some of that culture. And I and I'm just curious if you think that's maybe a part of your experience with that as well. Um, I mean, obviously, my perspective being part of that experience, I have my own per perception, right? And uh, and and I've met other people within those organizations or others that have similar experiences. Um, what I have found to be true very much so is this idea of people having to go along with or not wanting to be assertive and speak up because they don't think anything's going to happen as a result of that. So it's there's this very interesting piece of people wanting to create change and whether, again, it doesn't matter how you identify, those people that do want to create change are creating it. But the real question is, how do you create the culture where people want to stay when they do improve on themselves? You know, for me, when I realized that I needed to, I was doing work on myself and I was learning about who I was and not who I was to other people, that shift was so monumental in my growth that I no longer fit into that environment. I couldn't create the change that was necessary in that environment. And the only way for me to continue to grow was for me to leave. And I see that happening so much in other businesses, not because not because the whole culture isn't changing, right? It takes a long time for, it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of work. But you also have to have a lot of buy-in from a variety of different people. So if one person changes, they either have to continue to conform and show up as someone else when they're at work, or they choose to leave. And so the culture is a result of not just one person, but multiple people investing in themselves at the same time. And that needs to happen, you know, I will say from the top down in a company Sometimes it's from the bottom up and it's those people, those teams saying, if you want us to stay, we need you to invest in us. And here's the way we want to grow so that we can help the company and help ourselves at the same time. Not work-life balance, but I'm a person first and last and always, and I want to be treated that way. 
we want to be treated that way. So uh, it, it makes me kind of want to ask, you know, should people be staying in the same company long-term if, if they're changing, whether or not the company is kind of changing along with them or not, or, or is there just something to the argument that, Hey, you know, you, you've outgrown that space. You know, that, that space is no longer the best space for you to be in today. And it's a, it's a mutual acknowledgement from both parties that, Hey, that, you know, my role or you know, my space within this company, it's, it's, there's not enough room for where I am or where I'm going. Uh, you know, we see people leaving jobs, what average two to three years now. I mean, the, the, the people who stay 10 plus years in a, in a role or a company culturally, I, they're unicorns that almost doesn't exist. So, so I, I guess what, what I would throw back at you is, is it necessarily a bad thing? Or do you think that there is, it's just vast room for companies and teams to, to get much better at growing together? There's a couple different, you know, themes here, right? It's not just about the leaving, it's the why are people leaving? That's that's really important to look at. Also, the best jobs are the ones where people aren't afraid to invest in you without tying you down. So without saying, I will pay for this educational thing, or I will allow you to go to college if you commit to staying here for X amount of years, right? You're, you're chaining people you're saying, I'll give you this, but you have to be willing to give me this. Instead of saying, I'm going to give you this because I trust that it's going to add so much value to your life and you are going to take so much ownership in your role that I am going to do this where I'm going to offer this to you. And if they leave, they leave with this sense of appreciation versus a sense of dread and commitment. And why did I even do that in the first place? Every time they look at that piece of paper, they go, oh my gosh, I had to give my whole life away and commit to that for this thing. So it's a lot about companies trusting and giving people more ownership instead of this idea of delegation and micromanaging, which is really important when we're talking about a new workforce, a more virtual workforce, a hybrid workforce. And it's it's less you got to give people trust. You have to trust people. And I'm not sure that in the last couple of years we're learning, but I don't think that managers, leaders, and people in general understand how to give ownership or allow ownership and to see how that falls out. So I think there, like the answer to that question is not a black and white. I think you just need to trust that the people that you're hiring from the very beginning buy in with your mission, your purpose, and your values, that you're aligned from there, and that you give them the ownership to make things happen and to leave if it's no longer a fit for them or if there's a better opportunity for them. I think that's why we're seeing such a increase in a lot of the smaller business, a lot of startups, because um, as we know, change change is difficult to begin with but it's also a very slow moving boat the bigger the company the bigger the the asset around it right so to to take it from the bottom to the top and have that kind of change flow the bigger the company the harder that's going to happen you see it especially in government which is huge change is usually a decade after the rest of society has already changed uh, so i think that's a lot of why we're seeing a lot of the shift to a lot of the smaller business a lot of startups and why people are giving up that security of a big business to take more of the risk because they're getting like Paul is saying a lot of that more autonomy, a lot of that trust 
being able to switch quicker in those society in that that atmosphere that community Ooh, I, I have something to say around that because I think that is such a great point. I think people are trying to build the business they always wanted to work for, right? I, I mean, that's what I did, but I really love working with a team, you know, which is which is why I do what I do, which is why I network as much as I do and try to have as many conversations and create partnerships the way that I do. But not everybody's great at that. So what happens is these people are creating startups, but they're not necessarily equipped with the emotional intelligence, you know, that EQ and the soft skills to bring it to life. They understand the processes or potentially the operations. And I, I wonder what would happen if more people band together to create together instead of having so many startups with so many failures, but to have people think and, and say out loud, I have this amazing idea and I would love your help. What would happen then? I'm just, you know, just a thought. I feel as if we're we we are seeing more and more people kind of recognize the the importance of what what you're saying, and I, I'm sure you've seen this cartoon, Paula and Doc, you as well. Uh, you know the the CFO says to the CEO, "Hey, what if we invest all this money in these people and they leave?" And the CEO says, "Well, what if we don't and they stay?" <laughs> Which problem do you want? I'd ra I'd rather invest money in people and, and have them leave than in, not invest in my people and have them stick around. That's the worst possible situation. So I think people are starting to understand that, right? I, I think there's really a, a, a growing understanding that we need to give our team and our people, our employees, our constituents, the, the room to be able to grow and get better. And we need to be able to foster that trust. And, you know, it's amazing to me because this brings me back almost, uh, gosh, it's got to be seven, eight, nine months now where the doc and I had a conversation with, with somebody in education, Dr. Toby Travis, doc, Dr. T. Uh, and he just, he, he talked a lot about trust and leadership and how to, how to foster it and engage it with, with the team. And it's a very similar tangent to what we're talking about today. Just a really interesting conversation uh, because it's, it's, it's difficult to build trust uh, and keep trust as, as leadership for, especially as the company gets larger and larger because communication isn't as direct at that point. And when you have communication breakdowns, you tend to lose trust. Well, and it's not even about that manager, right? I mean, obviously I'm glad we have the doctor here, but it, you know, people are bringing in their experiences from before. So if you had a really crappy manager and now you're stepping into this other job, if, if your manager calls you into the office, you're, you, you may have a trigger response, right? You, you may decide right then and there that you did something wrong, even though you know you did nothing wrong. Um, and so building trust is not even just about you and that other person, but it's understanding the whole of your experiences as a person so that you can, I mean, you're start, we're starting from an equitable place then. We're not just saying, well, you're in this job now and I am not that formal manager. You're, you're recognizing and acknowledging that experience. It's back to the word uh, empathy. I think we just had a big conversation on one of our last podcasts about that. And it's really, again, going back to you don't have to agree or understand exactly what the person is doing. It's just a little bit of that acknowledgement that they're doing something. There's something going on with them. Uh, we don't have to go on a rant because if you want to hear about that, listen to our last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, what, what are some of the impacts you've seen just, just broadly speaking, Paula, when you, when you do have these conversations, when you come in and, and you work with teams and, and you really kind of, you know, work around this, 
know, we'll call it, we'll call it what it is, the, the social impact you're trying to create within, within these organizations. What, what's been the reception I want to ask in your experience? Reception to coming in and, and trying to shake up the team or in what way? Or just, 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 you know, redirect the culture, right? Recognize that, Hey, our culture is, is zeroed in in one direction. And we've got to, we've got to move it a couple degrees if we want to be more inclusive, if we want to kind of foster the environment that's going to keep our employees just, are these companies receptive to that? Cause a lot of times that can be perceived as a threat. And when, when, when a company you know feels threatened or a person feels threatened, forget company, that's where rigidity comes in a lot of times. That's where the people kind of get entrenched in what they're already doing. So I'm just curious if you have any experience with that and what, what, what it's been like from, from that experience. Um, so I would say one of the things that I don't ever say is, you know, I work with people to improve their toxic work cultures or to enhance their culture. I don't, that's, that's not my job. My job is to come in and understand who the people are that make up that environment. Right. My, my job is to be an outside person to, uh, you know, as a coach to ask questions and get curious in ways that they maybe haven't had the time to do because they're putting together some deliverable for, for a customer or client. They're, they're operating on autopilot. They're working toward a plan. And so depending on who the people are, I mean, just like anything, some people are very receptive to it. They breathe, a, you know, they take a deep breath and they're a little relieved that someone else from the outside is taking a peek behind the curtain about what's really happening. And now they feel a sense of trust because, you know, a, a contractor, somebody that's coming in, they don't have any obligation to the company other than through that contract. And what you say is private. It's confidential. So it's not shared with their manager the way that they may feel HR would share with a manager. But then you do have people on the other end of this of the spectrum, right? Like there's a little bit of storming when it comes to recreating teams and uh, looking at the dynamic. And there will always be somebody that's resistant, somebody who's maybe been, well, we've always done it this way, or it's always worked this way, or there's no problem. They don't see it as that. Leave your, leave your uh, personal life at the door, and then you come in. And so I, there's no one, I've never ever seen everybody go like, this is amazing. I mean, anytime you're creating change, there's going to be some going to be a little storminess, a mm -hmm. little animosity that happens there. But ultimately, the only the the people that have to buy into it are the ones that want to be there. The other people will shake out. They'll either decide this isn't for them and they'll leave, they'll find a new job, and that that honestly helps optimize the team too because the people who were working hard and by hard i don't mean like hustling i mean the people who were vested in the mission and the vision of the business now no longer have to pull the weight of the people who weren't and that were making excuses so either way it, i mean to me it doesn't matter if they don't if they don't like that somebody else is coming in. It's necessary. You there. You can be kind and be direct at the same time. There's duality in life. And um, I think the expectation there is such that you have to know that when you're walking into a situation like that, there are going to be people that are cheering for your presence. And there are going to be people that are hoping that you don't come back the next day. <laughs> yeah. It's, anytime you're dealing with change, you know, there, there will be resistance. Change is uncomfortable and, and people just, 
just naturally are going to lean into what they are comfortable with. Yeah. Especially if you get those, those people that feel like their position or, or the way they think of something is being attacked, right? Because you, you might, there, there might be some people you go into an organization and, and what you're talking about, you know, aligns exactly with what they'd like to see. And then you got others that, that, that think, well, I'm doing it the opposite way. And it's been great for me in, in my experience. So what you're saying is my way is wrong. And I'm not saying that's what you're telling people, but I think that's what a lot of people hear when we, when, when we talk about change, you know, what I'm doing or what I've done is not right. And now I'm being personally attacked. I, I, I think that's a very Ooh. natural reaction for a lot of people. That's a really great point. And I, I do think that that, you know, people tend to immediately throw up their guard because they don't want to be wrong, but it's not about being wrong, right? Like everything that we do is an opportunity to do it better the next time and the next time and the next time. So that's a really brilliant point about you know, coming in and explaining, it's not that you've done it wrong. It's that as things are changing and evolving, who the company is becoming, who you are becoming and who the team is becoming is changing. And in order to reflect that, you have to be willing to keep up with that change, or you have to be willing to look at that change. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's very important to recognize the fact that people tend to be hard on themselves and to think that they're doing something wrong. And it's, it's never, it's, it's just taking the pulse. It's looking at the baseline. It's how can we, how, where do we go from here instead of you did this all wrong and now we need to fix it. Yeah. Uh, a lot, a lot of it has to do with how, how we frame it, how, how we, if we're coming in to, to work with somebody, how we frame what we're trying to say and how they see it, right. And how they're framing it when they hear it. And, and when they're going through it, uh, to your point of adaptability, you know, it's, it's just all, it, everything's an opportunity. Well, that's a framing. For some people, everything's a threat, you know, and it's very interesting. You've got to be able to really, I think, work people through that. But you do bring up a fantastic point, which is just simply you have to be able to adapt the very best, you know, natural selection. Darwinism It's not the smartest. It's not the fastest. It's not the strongest. It's the best able to, to adapt. But what a great way. I mean, the co coaching in and of itself, right, is not about trying to fix someone right? Nobody needs to be fixed, but it, it's asking the questions to help them discover more of who they are. And that's where you get started. And so I never like to go to start with a client, any client at all, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one client or working with a team at a company and say, this is what you're doing wrong. I always like to ask, what do you see? Because what they see is going to be different than what the seven other members of this you know, project management team may think who's delivering this thing to a customer and what the customer thinks might be completely different than what they all think. So it's important to really kind of gather the perceptions and ask and take the pulse of like, what do you think needs to happen? How, like, what, what is, what is going on here? What would improve things for you? How would that feel for you? And it's the, those are the things that are important. I think more than telling it's listening. If I'm a team lead, uh, I'm an executive, I'm a manager, director, whatever that role happens to be, just kind of in, in your mind, uh, when they do want to see a change made, you, how, how do you think the best way for them to be able to, to get people comfortable with that is? Uh, because sometimes in a management role, it, you, 
you can ask questions, but ultimately you, you, you do get put in a position where you've got to kind of say, you know, this is, this is the, the way we need to go as an organization, right. And as a team, and we need to all be on the same page. How do you, how do you think somebody in a leadership position is best able to, to manage to that? Well, it becomes less of a dictatorship. And again, it's more of listening. So sometimes things have to happen because at other levels, you know, they've done, they've looked at KPIs, they understand the metrics, they're seeing what's happening, and it may not be the popular opinion. But you have to take the time to listen to the people that have to perform the work. Because if you are asserting on them, you're saying you, I mean, if you're being aggressive about what needs to happen, and you're asserting your power, people are going to shut down. And, and what you're attempting to achieve is not going to come to fruition. So you have to at least be willing to say, I know this isn't what you hope to hear, or I know that you really wanted it to go this direction, but I would love to open up the space and, you know, for 45 minutes to just hear what your concerns are and then frame out what, what are the standards of that conversation, right? We're, you know, how can we go into this where I don't want you to bad mouth. I want you to be open. I want you to share so that people feel heard and also knowing that there's nobody taping that conversation. There's nobody taking minutes or sharing that. And that when they walk out that door, that you're leaving it there. Because oftentimes it's that people just need to be heard. They want someone to hear what they have to say. And there may be a way to adapt what you're, the, this new change that's happening that has to happen. There may be a new way to look at it just through this open conversation that you're allowing people to have instead of saying, this is how it is and it's going to be this way. Got to do it. Evolve. That's the best word. Yes. Who are we becoming? If we stay the same, nothing changes. Well, Doc, you, you talk about that, right? Um, sometimes people just need the psychological air to vent, right? They, they need that space to be, be able to feel like psychologically they can breathe and let something out. I think putting in what Paula was saying too, into kind of a little perspective of the fear in group, right? So letting that person know that they are being heard as an individual is important. They're not just a cog in the wheel, this big giant system that what they do doesn't matter. And that's what a lot of people feel a lot of times in, in, in businesses. Like what, if I do something, how, if I take an extra five minute breaks, how does that affect anything? Or I, if I don't show up today, that doesn't really matter. No one will notice. So what, what Paul is saying is creating that personal connection with the people around you so that they do feel that they're important. Um, and it reminds me of like men in black, uh, the big saying uh, Tommy Lee Jones does on there about people, right? Like a person is smart, but people are dumb, panicky individuals. And we know that because if you talk to them in the masses and that's their natural instinct is to be fearful. But if you talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, you can get a lot further in being able to make that change, to make that evolution. Um, so, yeah. I just saw this article, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was in uh, Inc. magazine. And it was about managers being true leaders and having these one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and the nine questions you should ask them. And I can't remember what the nine questions are. And quite frankly, they're not relevant. But what it really made me think about was, oh, my gosh, I have had managers before or even heads of departments before that I didn't necessarily directly report to, but I was a liaison to, 
that have asked me to sit with them and ask me questions. And I didn't want to answer them honestly. So I think from a, from a leadership perspective too, we have to make sure that people feel comfortable being in those one-on-one situations, right? So they're afraid to be, to speak up. Um, maybe they want to be heard and they're in a group, but making sure that when we're inviting people into this one-on-one conversation, that they feel comfortable having that versus a, I'm doing a skip level. We used to have a lot of those in corporate. I'm doing a skip level conversation. And this person is terrified. They're like, I don't want to go in this room with this executive who's going to ask me these questions. And I'm just going to have to smile and say what they want to hear because I don't want to rock the boat. What will happen to my job and my security if I speak up? So there's a lot of trickle down, but there's a there is um there there are so many ways that we need to think about beyond the, well, just have a one-on-one with somebody. Well, how is that one-on-one going to make that person feel if you literally don't know them as a human being? I can empathize, you know, having, having, you know, spent a decade working with a fortune 50 company. I have been in those rooms where it's, Hey, we want to ask you these questions and we want to hear you, but God forbid you actually give them what you want to say. Uh, you know, and I've seen people who have aired what they wanted to say and you aired in the wrong way and they were gone. You know, you weren't, you're not on the team. You're not on board. You're out. Right. I've, I've seen that happen in the corporate world and it's unfortunate, but you know, that's the type of workplace environment that, that it sounds like you're really working to, to, can I make a bad joke? Shepherd in some change. Yeah. <laughs> that can't be the first time you've heard that one. No. Yeah, but you know what's so important to me too, and and what I think is really important to people right now is even if you're not, if you're looking for a job, let's say you're looking for a job right now, the most important thing, and I would love for you guys to chime in on this too, is to me, is what does that company stand for? Because I think before I, I went to college to get a good job and make a lot of money and I did it. And then I left two decades later, right? But what was missing for me was a sense of purpose right? What were we actually working toward? What was the mission? How was I making an impact in the world? What does this company stand for? And more than the words or the value statements that they post online on their website or on our one pager, how are they actually living those out? So for me, I would say to anybody who is looking for a job or feeling out of place on a team, one, get to know yourself a little bit, understand who you are, not what you do. And two, take a good hard look at what that company says they stand for and their mission and see if there's a disconnect. Because it might not be that you're ever going to be able to change that culture. It might just be that you're in not the right place. And you can go easily find someone who is more aligned with who you are and what you stand for. And when you have a job where you can come in and be part of a team that's working towards something that you believe in with values that they can back up with actions that they anchor those to, you're more likely to stay. You're less likely to call out of work. You're more likely to be a part of the team. You're going to want to go that extra mile. And ultimately that's going to help the company too and your own mental health, right? So, I I mean, that's just kind of where I stand. And that's obviously coming from my own personal story too, is just 
don't just take anything. Look at look at who you are first before you start looking at trying to change other things in a company and the job. Like, do you do you believe in what the company is doing? Do you believe in what you're doing? And that can be hard to figure out a lot of times. Um, trying to do research on a company or trying to figure out if, what the culture looks like. Uh, as we're just a few months, like even at a Pride Month or Black History Month or Women's Heritage Month. We see all these big companies during that month are posting things that are very progressive towards the that whatever sector. Performative. I call it performative. Exactly. Uh, and then the rest of the year, they're actively going against all that, right? Whether they're supporting other companies or supporting other whatever it may be, politicians around. Not to dive into that deep, but that mixed message of culture. Hey, we're telling you this one thing today, but we're actually doing something totally different. And you might not notice that until you get inside those companies. And as, as Paul was mentioning earlier, like there was the expectation to stay with companies a long time. That was kind of how we were. That was the message that was given. It's like, oh, be loyal, stay. Now it's a more socially acceptable to have much of different employments on your resume. And, and that doesn't hurt you the same way as it was. So that means if you're in that culture and you're finding out that culture doesn't match what you thought it was, it is okay to leave. You're better off doing something that's going to make you happy and, and finding that connection. And that might be that experiment. It might having to work at a, quite a few different jobs till you find the one that really fits for you or going out and creating your own that fits like his Paul was saying earlier too, about those people that are branching out to kind of create that. I, I have a couple things I want to say around this, Paul. I, I, I love what you're talking about. You know, to me, it, it comes back to, you know, one of my favorite books, uh, Simon Sinek, uh, Find Your Why, you know, which, which talks about the mission statements for companies and and what really is our value and, and what are we really doing here? You know, because it's got to be greater than just um, the, you know, the the empty phrase, to your point, a performative phrase, which is there to look good, but doesn't really mean anything. So part of it is, is companies need to do a better job of really understanding and finding their why and making that a part of the culture. So that's, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, and for anybody who hasn't read that book, I think that's an absolutely phenomenal book to, to listen or, or read because Simon, Simon really captures it very, very well with a lot of research. There's also a challenge on the individual side because I don't think there's a whole lot of self-awareness around what we really want to, to be and do as, as an impact in our lives. I don't think a lot of people have a lot of direction there. I think there's a whole lot of confusion. And, and I know plenty of people um, who spend years and years searching, you know, I, myself included on, hey, where really is my my value aligned with the work I'm doing? And and where where what does that mean? And what does it look like? And then on top of that, of course, we have maybe some scarcity problems where people really leverage themselves beyond where they should. So they're stuck in roles. They don't just have the freedom to leave because they're leveraged financially or they're in a position where they cannot do so, whether that's self-imposed or an external force, like taking care of a sick loved one, you know, for example, which we see a lot. So there's, there's a lot of factors that kind of play into this that make it really difficult. But I love the idea of, Hey, if I can find a, a, a place to work and a team to work with, where we have that common vision, uh, a, a shared value and belief system, and we're all rowing the boat in the same direction. I think you 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 probably take care of a tremendous amount of issues in any sort of an organization, and you have a much better run business. Uh, but I also feel like in a lot of ways that's a unicorn scenario. It's not that easy to find. 
Yeah, but but going back to that, I think I mean we've all been there. I mean, I was 40 years old before I really explored my values. Because I was just a mom. I was a mom, I was a wife, I was a daughter, I was an employee, right? And and so one of the silliest questions that I ask people is describe yourself to me in five words. And none of those words can have anything to do with anyone else. I you can't be like, I'm I always help other people. No, I don't. One word about you. Describe me. Describe you. Describe your personality to me. Tell me about you. What do you love about you? And it's very hard for people to do that because they have gotten to the point over so many years that the roles and the hats that they wear have overtaken the person that they are. Yes. I've seen that firsthand, by the way. I <laughs> uh, hello. We can I <laughs> this is not me calling anybody no, out no, but myself. No, no, right? no. I, I, I mean leaving the leaving the corporate world, having to walk away from an identity that 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 hat I wore for so many years, it's very difficult. That's that's incredibly challenging. Uh, so I, I absolutely that resonates with me a hundred percent. But to even expand on that a little bit, um, as as we come to the end here, uh, we're supposed to evolve. We're supposed to change. We're not supposed to be the same person we were. So if you what you are in your forties shouldn't be what you were in your twenties. If you're the exact same person, then that that's something you should think about, right? I mean, even think about change of food, <laughs> right? Scary. Our palate changes, like, you know hated mushrooms when I was little. Now I love them, right? Those are the things that change. You have to keep experience to see who you've become now because it might not be the exact same person that you were then. And that's okay. So you can change and you can grow and you can try something new and do a reassessment on yourself of what those things are. Um, so as I said that, Paula, can you please let our audience and, and your audience know how the best way to reach you and anything you'd like to share with them? Yes, of course. I mean, you can always email me at paula at thecourageblueprint.com. Um, you can access me at my website, thecourageblueprint.com. And I would say the, the most active place to find me is on LinkedIn. So connect with me at LinkedIn, um, just under my name, Paula Shepard. And um, yeah, let's have a conversation. I love to get to know people. And, and if you're not sure who you are, happy to get you to a place where you can describe yourself in five words and get started. I love that exercise, by the way, Paula. And uh, thank you. Really enjoyed having you on the show here. Um, really fabulous conversation. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. This has been amazing. I love, you know, when I can see this thought leadership in and having angles on topics that I talk about and hear about all the time. It's really important to me to learn and grow, as well as the audience. So, thank you for having me. Awesome. And of course, all the information will be in the show notes below. You can find it there. Great conversation with Paula, Doc. Uh, really enjoyed having her on. Paula Shepard, The Courage Blueprint. Uh, real emphasis on her end, it, it sounds like, of, of finding a way to help teams develop a space in which the the team members can all thrive and, and feel like they have the opportunity to grow. Building the trust, listening. You know, these are very important things that usually managers and, and upper level staff don't really see because um, they're so you know caught into the weeds of what they're doing, hitting numbers, finding productivity, and thinking what the things that they think are important. I think they lose a lot of the uh, the day to day stuff that really drives your team. 
Now, there's a, there's a real need for for that sort of work, and it you know, certainly aligns with with a lot of what we talk about, which is building trust and and establishing stronger communication with the team and and, and building the bonds of rapport between team members. Uh, so really enjoyed that conversation. Loved having her on as a guest. Again, you can find out all her details on our show notes. You cannot miss it. And uh, really excited for you to be able to hopefully have some great takeaways as listeners and viewers. Really enjoyed that conversation. Absolutely. A lot of synergy in the same things that we talk about. So it's always a great conversation. And hopefully our listeners are taking that, have that takeaway when they hear those things. Yeah. Put two and two together naturally. And speaking of two and two, sometimes it just equals seven. Or maybe not. But doesn't matter because all I want to share with you is our new seven-minute masterclass, which we launched, which just happens to coincide a little bit with this Halloween spooky season. So if you are in the mood for something fun, effective, and different that gets rid of and cuts out the 40 minutes of 47 minutes of BS that you find in a traditional masterclass, then you are in luck. Our RIP method to 2x your time, we distilled down only what you need to know to implement an effective tool to 2x your time and get you well on your way. It's a seven minute masterclass. It's not that much longer than me explaining what it is. It's pretty amazing. It's free. If you're trying to get better with your time, you might want to consider checking it out. A very succinct way to sell a seven minute masterclass. Great job. Is that alliteration? On, yeah, that's right. It's alliteration. Anyways, uh, check it out. We're super excited. And let us know what you think, because we had some fun with this one. Hopefully Absolutely. it sticks. And of course, you can check out any networking that we have. If you are in the South Florida area, we are all over the evolved networking. We love get taking it out to the people, teaching a little bit, having a little bit of fun, and taking next networking to that next level. Yes. Like I like to say, get involved with Evolve. And the reason I like to say that is because everybody thinks it's involved networking, but it's not. It's Evolve. So get involved with Evolve. Very clever. Genius. Very punny today. All right. I think they've heard enough. Doc, where can they find us? Of course, you can find us at our website at jvandthedoctor.com or on all social media at jvandthedoctor. See us there. And on YouTube. Yes, and on YouTube, which you may be watching right now. All right, everybody. I'm JB. No, I'm out. Peace out, yo.